Hello and welcome back to the Unboxable Unstoppable podcast and the Soul Mama Academy, which is the presenter of the Unboxable Unstoppable podcast. I'm Elena Turley. I'm all about helping women find their way through as they emerge from motherhood and discover new ways of being and hear stories of women who found their ways of being. And I'm really excited today to have a dear friend and also training partner here with me, Mel Thomas of the Key Up project.com.au, Kyup Project, K-Y-U-P. And uh, she is ending the cycle of domestic violence, empowering Australians to raise standards and champion safety and wellbeing. Hello, Mel. Hi, Elena. Hi. Good to see you here. Just you too. Off the mats. So nice. So, so Mel and I actually, not only do we train together, but we partner in presenting a women's class in Hapkido, the martial arts mm-hmm. that we train together. But Mel is more senior to me. So if we were in class, I would be calling her ma'am. And uh, I can do that today if you like, Mel. Well, I get called sir quite a lot too, don't forget. <laughs> you haven't actually done that yet, but yes. you're one of the few that haven't. <laughs> <laughs> we get called sir because most of the teachers are men and that's yeah. what the kids are used to doing, right? That's um, So tell me how you are today. I'm good. I'm good. I'm missing training. I, uh, I've been um, talking with some of our training partners Um and looking forward to the grading for your listeners. You'll be going for your black belt this year. Next, next year. Say. Next year. Yeah, super and, exciting. Um, and there's 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 talk of me going for my third, Dan. Oh, already. Which would be, already, it's been four years. Four has, years. Has it? Yeah. No, since your second, no. Yeah, four years. Four years. And I just feel like. Like everything in life, when it's on such a long journey, you have to have something to train towards. Um, So whether or not I actually am able to um, do the grading, I am setting myself up for the opportunity. And uh, I think... You know, like any any sort of long term goal, you have to you have to break it down, mm. and yes, so that's something to to think about, look forward to. That's funny yeah. that you said whether or not I'm able. So I've, this thing keeps coming up in my mind lately, which yeah. is play all out, expect nothing. So uh-huh. it's like you play all out towards your goals, and then whether they happen or not, well, we'll see. You know, because life often has other plans for us. So it's it's always an interesting kind of approach. Do, do you expect to succeed, which I feel like is a very kind of masculine sort of approach? Mm-hmm. You know, I will succeed at all costs. Or do you expect to succeed or do you work towards success and and see what happens? I think it's a little bit of a combination of both. Like for me it is. I think I have to draw a line in the sand because there are so many different things that, like the plot twist, life takes over, as you say. And so you've got to kind of be non-negotiable yes. on certain aspects of the goal. Um, but then, you know, for me, I'm going, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to train towards it. If I'm, if I'm not ready, then I'm not ready. Then you're but, saying. You'll, you'll respond see, to that at the time. Which yeah. I think um, is is much healthier than yes. let's just let's just do this thing and travel the week, hurdle the dead. Isn't that the most disgusting expression? I think say it again. <laughs> travel the week and hurdle the dead. Oh, my goodness, I've never heard that. What does it mean? Yeah. Uh, I believe it means just do what you want to do at all costs. and, and Oh, um, the ruthless approach. Yes, the ruthless right. approach. 
And it was, I, I heard that first of all by a man that I was working for many, many years ago. Mm. I told him I did martial arts. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, you trample the wheat, hurt all the dead. I was like, oh, that's a bit. Do we? Intense. But no, I don't think so. I think we we work with people. <laughs> well, actually, one of anyway. our fundamental principles is harmony. Exactly. So, exactly. yeah, interesting. But I think, you know, martial artists generally have a reputation for being uh, different to what we are, I would say. Yes. What do you yes. think? What, how are we different to the standard? Well, first of all, what is the standard, you know, perceived martial artist all about, do you think? Well, I, I think it depends on whether you're looking at martial artists. If you break it, if I break it down in my experience, there's martial artists who that we train with mm. that are about philosophy and balance and a, and a long-term journey and being respectful and accountable, you know, all those all those things that we stand for. At, you're only competing against yourself. When you're competing against yourself and, yeah, all, all there's those. And then you've got sort of like the... the um, the people that claim to be um, martial artists and and good on them, you know, but yeah, more I, power I, to you. but more power to you. Uh, but I feel as though they they're like they're sort of like they've watched too many Chuck Norris movies, <laughs> 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 and and they feel like they've got something to prove. Like, oh, you want to uh, fight me? Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, I met most of these characters in training. Mm. As they come through white belts, and then there's the, then there's the um, like the, there's real sporty ones. Mm. You know, then they're, they're, they're like got a million different types of varieties and martial arts and practices that they're doing, and yeah, and you know, a, a black belt in nothing, and a yes, <laughs> <laughs> and good luck so to true. them too because it takes yeah, yeah. all minds. It does. Uh, you know, but anyway, so just some of the characters that that we get to to meet on this amazing, isn't it? We're very martial yeah, arts. That's right. It is such a journey, and I would love to hear just for our listeners mm. a little bit more about your mission. Um, first of all, yourself, your own mission, and second of all, how that manifests in your key up project. Please enlighten yeah. us. Okay. Well, um, thanks for asking. I. Look, I walked into a martial arts class 25 years ago now with zero intention of ending the cycle of violence against girls and women and boys. I didn't know I was in the cycle of violence. Um, Mm. I was born into domestic violence and Mm. I had a front row seat to unhealthy relationships. So um, I continued that cycle in some of my early relationships and I experienced, as did many, many people of our generation, you know, yes. really tough times in, in school. Yes. Um, a lot of bullying, ironically, because of the family violence at home. So when you're a kid and you're dealing with that level of trauma, you tend to sort of, you try to just explain things and cover up things and make excuses. And kids smell the blood in the water, right? So, and they, they, I found myself, and I've spoken to a lot of other survivors as well, um, one of the problems that you have in domestic, with domestic abuse as a child is you can't keep your story straight. 
right? It's hard to explain and not offend people. You get invited to things and you can't go or you don't go or yes. you, know, you can't ring my house and kids are just ruthless. So, you know, high school was, wasn't fun. Um, and I then started working. I worked in, I worked for the government, for the audit office of New South Wales. And, and I just went about my life hoping to never, ever think about my childhood again. In fact, I, I was a master of covering it up. Mm. Um, I was embarrassed, you know, and ashamed yes. of, of the experiences and just some of the choices that I made as a consequence from that time. And um, I probably never would have done anything about it until I had my first daughter and she I went to this. Oh, and then by then I was working in advertising. You're kind of getting the long story here. but Please, uh, I want the long story. Uh, yeah, Thank you. The long story. Um, I was working in advertising and, and I had a really great job. It was a very sexy job. I was working in entertainment. So I was going to ARI awards and shows and concerts and things all the time and, and I had this baby. I think this this job doesn't fit with where I'm going in life. So I go along to this careers counselling session, just something I saw um, on social media, and I get there and they said, you know, what, do you, what are you good at and, like, and, you know, what do you love? And I said, well, I'm pretty good at martial arts and I love girls now, like I like, as, as a mother and as a daughter and sort of that looking back on my own experience as a child and thinking, oh, you know, you really did your best, Mel. Like I really sort of forgave myself for that time with the birth of my daughter. Um, and so and then I, and we, I go back to this day and I'm in this, this session and then the break comes and this little girl comes up to me and she's 14 years old and her little bottom lip starts quivering. She's like, oh, I saw what you said about girls and how you like martial artists. Like how you how you're good at martial arts and you like girls, sorry. And um, I said, yeah. She goes, oh, no. So do you teach girls to protect themselves? And I was like, well, well sort of. You know, it's not like thing. It's not a thing. It's sort of a thing. And she goes, oh, because something happened to me. Wow. And she went on to tell me this story. Nice, heavy, and just a bit of a trigger warning for people that are watching um, or listening, uh, she told me the story of how she had a heavy backstory. Her father had committed suicide. Prior to that, he'd been very abusive to her and her mother and her older brother and her little brother. After he died, her mum was working three jobs to just keep the lights on. And um, he, her older brother had started attacking her and her little brother most days after school. So to get away from him, she went down to the local park. And this one day, she's in the eastern suburbs, she she was sitting there with her brother and a group of boys came up to her and they circled around her. And she said, oh, Mel, in that moment I felt like I didn't know what to do. I just, I, I felt afraid, but they were sort of being nice to me and, you know, I didn't want to sort of overreact or anything. So and her words were, you know, I didn't want to look stupid. I didn't want to look like I was on myself. So she goes, I just sort of sat there. Yeah. And then the situation escalated and it got worse. And the boys started making comments about the way she looked. And then they sort of, sort of started poking fun at her little brother and he starts crying. She said, I got up to go. And one of the guys grabs me and pulls me onto her lap, onto his lap. Oh. 
he, they, they passed her around, they assaulted her. She tells me this story and I'm like at this stage now, I'm starting to go. Just Powerful story. Mm. I'm, I'm starting to, you know, get really emotional. And then she just finished me off and she goes, so, you know, when you said you like girls and, and you know martial arts, I want to know what did I do wrong? Oh, goodness me. Yeah. And then I thought, far out. I think I've been asking myself that same question for like 20 something years. So many of us do. And she said, oh, can you come and speak to my friends? And I went, okay, all right. So I went down and I spoke to her friends and I just listened to what they had to say and what they were up against. Um, As somebody who'd been a victim of a group assault, especially I was, I, and it's something, someone who as my, I buried it, right. I just buried all these personal experiences. I don't want to, I don't want to unpack this. That's what we do with trauma. It's natural. And then they've got all these kids and they're just, you know, they just, they're BS radars. They just like opened up to me and nothing much had changed. Yes. From when I had all these experiences, a younger woman, um, you know, intimate partner violence is still the leading cause of preventable death for girls aged 15 to women aged 44. Goodness me. Um, 40% of girls have experienced violence since the age of 15. And, you know, since that day I think I've worked with more than 10,000 kids all across the country and I often ask them, hands up, if you've ever had anybody say anything to you or reach out to you or yell out a comment that you didn't ask for about the way you look, your body, and it's made you feel uncomfortable. I've never seen a hand down. Mm. Not once, including the boys. Mm. So kiap means to shout. It's a Korean word that we use in martial arts and it means the spirit of self-defence. Um, that's my interpretation of it anyway for our Korean viewers or listeners. Yep. Uh, <laughs> um, I like that other people have different interpretations of it, but it's it's more, it's like giving kids a voice to speak up for themselves and to speak up for each other. And I based it on my martial arts journey, which is about paying forward what I've learned to stand up for myself and stand up for others. And, yeah, we've, I, I got a scholarship in 2013 with Lane Beachley and um, she's been a mentor to me over the years and, and uh, we're now talking to the federal government about uh, being part of the national plan to break the cycle of domestic violence and I think it's really good to see. It's a time. Look, it really is the time, don't you think, Elena? Yeah, 100%. For schools to sort of up the ante and have like a, a a language and a conversation that's we're all like so that we're all singing off the same hymn sheet. Is that the is that what you say hymn sheet? Maybe yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not religious. So I'm not feeding religious people out there, but you know, so that we're all singing off the same play sheet. Yeah, I think I think. There's so much to unpack from what you've said. I could talk to you all day about this stuff. I have my own experiences of carrying shame and trauma into my life and then experiencing violence and very different to yours. They're always different stories, aren't they? But that story that you just relayed, so powerful. And and 
I was really interested by something you said, which I didn't really understand. I'd love to understand better. Is something you said about when you had your daughter, you forgave so much. Something about that. And I wasn't quite sure what you were referring to. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, so at some point um, I just felt that and I think having my daughter was a catalyst moment and I remember looking down at her and uh, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. So all my whole life I'd had, um, I had this dream that I was drowning, right, and then my mum came up to help with my with my baby and I still had this dream. I was drowning, drowning, and I said, and she's like, you okay? And I said, oh, look, you know, it would, it's, all the breastfeeding's one thing and the broken sleep and all the rest. I said, but you know what really gets to me is that I have this same dream that I'm drowning. And it's like, and so matter-of-factly, she said, oh, that's because your father threw in the pool and tried to drown you. And if I hadn't walked outside at that point in time, um, you you know, you probably wouldn't be here today. Oh, my goodness. And I remember looking at and I thought about it, thought about it, and I remember looking at my baby going, God, what must have been going on for him? What, what absolute trauma was happening in his mind that it was okay to do that to me? Um, and I just felt sad. I just felt this deep sadness. I thought, oh God, I could, I could never hurt my baby. I'm sitting there going, God, how the hell am I ever going to get this little beautiful baby ever swimming lessons? I don't even want her to get wet. I don't even like her being in the bath <laughs> too long. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that forgiveness sort of came through that process and I just went, oh, I've got to just let all that go because up until then I'd, I hadn't sort of dealt with it. I just ignored it. I just bulldozed over it. Um, I didn't want it to define me. I didn't want people to know about it. And it was it was very strange. <laughs> it was very it's interesting. Strange. I think I relate. I know that when you become a parent, you have a different perspective on your parents yeah. anyway. Yeah. Um, and it changes us, you know, matrescence and becoming a mother particularly because you have physiological, mental, spiritual, physical brain, everything changes the way we think. And it literally does at a cellular level. And um, it's a fascinating moment where we do have an opportunity sometimes the opportunity can weigh quite heavily I think on women we have this one opportunity you know to change what am I going to do with that I don't want to waste it you know there's that sense and uh it's a powerful moment and it intrigues me I'm always fascinated with how everybody experiences that in their own way and did you go on to do any further work personally self-development wise on that stuff now that you became aware of it what happened oh look I read a lot of books um I read a lot of books the, the, the greatest thing that I did to overcome it was applying to that Lane Beach League just sort of going well you know to overcome it it was working with the girls to set up Kia it was um, the Lane Beachley. It was it was um, some closure with my father as well. Um, I, I hadn't seen him, and then just before he sort of passed away, he he came out out of nowhere. Um, I'd already told my children that he was dead, 
So I had to sort of undo all that, which was, I'm so glad I did, you know, yeah. really improved my relationship with them. But so there was that moment um, and then just time. Yes. Passion. Yes. And I, I had a mentor once used to say to me, um, the, like the more you sort of you, you air these things, mm. the less power they have over you. Don't you think that's true, the power of telling the story? Yeah. Over and over and over, and in what you do now, yeah, I, I'm trained. I can tell you've told that story, and you know that story, and I just think it's fascinating the power of telling stories. I'm not, I'm not scared to say that I was in a twelve step program for a while. And a huge part, not the only part, but a huge part of recovery through addiction is um, telling your story over and over and over. And the other important part of that is being heard, yeah. having your truth be heard and witnessed by others. Extremely powerful. It's one of the reasons that this podcast is something I feel incredibly humbled and grateful to do because I get to not only hear and listen and witness the stories of other people, but I get to share mine openly and in a way that hopefully may allow others to do the same and use that very same technique and that same mechanism and to understand that our humanity overrides, you know, that we can all on some level, we can hear someone's story and go, yep, I get it, even if you haven't experienced it, you know. Oh, true. You know, I've never found it easy to tell my story, sure. to tell people that I think because they, because I can tell, I've never found it particularly easy. I feel very vulnerable when I tell it because yeah. um, although I've, I've not ever had a negative response, in my mind that stigma of oh, absolutely. victims, is, yeah. And even though I don't look at somebody else who's survived domestic violence and gone, oh, you know, yeah. why do this? Or, you know, I've never had, but I don't know what it is and I haven't, I'm yet to unpack it. I don't know why, but I Isn't still that interesting? It. I know what you mean. Just then, even then, mentioning addiction, I feel this kind of flush yeah, of shame. Like, I know. It just happens. It's just how we're programmed almost. And, and I just think it's fascinating, the fact that we can talk about that and understand it. Well, we're very, we're very, um, that's a very fortunate position to be in, to be able to observe it and witness it separate to it and not be it. You know, when you're feeling shame and it's all of you, that's a very different experience. And yeah. and I would say that there's something very, I guess, um, it definitely takes courage every time we own up to that stuff and we train courage, you and I, all the time because we do martial arts. That's a practice that we have and it's not, I don't think it's about particularly being made differently or having some inherent characteristic, it's that we've decided and it's very powerful to make a decision and be willing to do whatever it takes. You know, we've decided to live a life that involves courage and bravery consciously. That's something we've chosen and we literally put our bodies on the line and our ourselves on the line every time we train to do that, to practice that courage, you know. And it's yeah. available to anybody who, who would choose that path, I believe. Absolutely, absolutely, and I, I, um, I, I can't. I wish I could say who it was, but one of our great instructors in the association said to me once. Um, <laughs> I bet I can guess. Go on. <laughs> I, 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 you can't. You can't be a black belt. Um, you know, just when you step on the mats. Oh no, that's right. Hundred percent. Right? Like you have to, you have to lead with it's, it's a, it is a way of life, and um, and I think that has has held me in good stead 
with with Kiup Project and um, keeping myself accountable. You know, like like everybody else, you know, half the time I could easily sit there and just blob out on Netflix and ice cream and course. um, But I think there's a lot of that commitment that we've learned through martial arts that helps you to sort of stay focused on on track. Because, look, even right now, okay, so with Kiop Project, I would normally be, we'd be face-to-face in schools, community yes. centres. Um, you know, I didn't get to go to the Kimberley last year and um, I have some big regional workshops as well. And mm. so it's been almost like two years, mm. COVID. Yeah. And I've had to rethink you know, what do we do? How can I still help? How can we still, yes. how can we still make that impact now? Yes. Um, and not just sit there and give up and watch Netflix. And yeah. I think that- <laughs> well, that's interesting. So there's two sides to that. One side of it I totally relate to, which is we make a commitment, we stick to it because yeah. we've chosen it and we've said we would. And you know, it holds us accountable. We're part of a community, being part of a community is a huge part of that. I mean, that's one of the reasons the business that I've created is a community. Soul Mama Academy is a community because I know that that's how we work best when we're accountable to each other and we support each other. There's an exponential power to that. And it's the same when we train. There's this exponential power that occurs, even just you and I, if we train together, is different to us training alone and we do different things. But the other side of that for me anyway is is that like I, I, I need it. And being in lockdown has really shone a light on that, that there are certain things that I need to do for myself as a woman, as a, as a person recovering from trauma, as a, as a, for mental health, you know, that training gives me that I've managed to kind of work out that, that there's an interaction between the martial art that we do and my own self-care, you know, and without it, it's been really a gaping hole in my ability to kind of moderate my emotions and my physical, you know, how to get exercise and health. And like on the day that I train, I'll always eat well. I'll try and sleep well the night before, you know, that just makes me do things better in general. And um, not having that has been interesting, like trying to work out other ways to do that and adapt to a life without training on the mats and without having that, you know, regular taking time for myself because it enforces that too. It takes me out of the home, puts Mm. me in it, you know. So it's been very interesting. And I think, you know, without going on about martial arts forever, although, you know, we could, we could because we love it. But there's, we all need something. We just all need something that we can use in that way and that uses us, you know, that we serve as well. It's it's mm-hmm. both ways where we service and we also receive. And those practices of serving a higher principle and serving a community and also receiving from a community and receiving the learning, that to and fro is so powerful, you know, like learning for a woman, learning to receive is a big deal, I think. And, and for, you know, having a higher kind of principle that we serve that's a big deal like you do impactful work I'm building an impactful business that's it's important yeah it it really is important and it's um you know I've set up an entire organization that is my day-to-day um you know we are a not-for-profit um and it's my day-to-day business and it is based off my experience of martial arts and how I could bring 
um, that accountability and that self-worth and that self-respect and um, the physicality and and the mindset. Mm, 100%. I'm taking it's that into my like business I've too. Fully packaged up. I, I do. I, I kind of I've packaged up 20 years of martial arts training into these workshops and programs. So by the end of it, that um, kids that have never had any experience of of martial arts, of which there are lots. Mm. I know that um, when I'm out in the regional areas, yeah. I'm, I'm like an alien from outer space. I locked up in the Kimberley wearing um, black ski <laughs> <tea> pants. <laughs> and and I'll go, I get off the bus, right? I, was, I get off this bus and it's like six hours from a oh, town. Yeah. Like it's the most remote community in the Kimberley and the whole town has come to see me. Yeah, uh, there's you know, there's no no one else has been there. <laughs> like, what an honor to do that work, my yeah, goodness! Yeah, it, it really it really is. And um, you know, uh, the flies. I don't know if you know this. The flies in the Kimberley and over in they don't fly away. If you no, they stay, don't they? They, they like yeah. yeah, they're all over. stick on you. <laughs> I've been in this sort of sheltered bus, and I get off the bus, and I step out. All these kids there, and the kids love playing in the AFL. And um, I'm walking over to this big sort of amphitheatre experience and some kids are kicking that. And this kid goes, miss, miss, and he kicks the ball. And I cannot, for the life of me, manage a football. I can't, <laughs> I can't, much less one of the little mini ones. This is a woman who can wield a weapon and yeah, can I fly can... through the air and do kicks and patterns and incredible martial arts but can't Sports. kick a ball. <laughs> oh, like pool cue type <laughs> weapons, a little tiny sort of um, hacky sack AFL ball. How Forget funny. it, right? It comes at me. And at the same time, a fly goes in my mouth <laughs> and I just fell on my ass, right, with a fly in my mouth oh, in front of me. like 100 people in this remote community and That's the kids great. laughing and I'm, I'm laughing and I'm like going, oh, well, you know, look, there, there's the big grand entry. That's That's a good icebreaker. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. I don't even know why I tell that story. because It's I, a great story. I think, you um, know, there's so, there's so much to what you're doing, Mel. I mean, we're making light of it. But honestly, the cycle of domestic violence stops here is what it says on yeah. your website. I'm yeah. looking at it. And I just think that's an incredible and bold goal, which I respect so deeply. And yeah. I don't know what we can do to support you, but I would love to know. And you know that I'm a fan of yours and that I I help in any way that I can and will always do so. And I'm just really, I admire the simplicity of the way you came to it. You know, you went to a career counsellor because you'd had a baby and you walk out carrying this incredible story and, and also more in touch with your own story and creating something from that. It's just, it's a remarkable thing. Well, thank you, Elena, and thank you for all the help that you do to, to support uh, <laughs> Key Up. And I don't do much. Um, I, can't, I can't wait to do more. You're a, you're a great you're a great buddy, and um, and I absolutely adore you. And look, we we are a not for profit, and we are a registered charity, and um, we do like to raise money so people can donate because that allows us to go into a lot of the communities that don't have funding. Um, and so you can go to our website, which is kyupproject.com.au. So, 
Um, you can donate, you can uh, offer some services in kind. So a lot of people want to sort of do something and they hear what we're doing, they would like to be involved. You can send me an email, which you'll find on the website. And um, we, we especially love mums who have amazing skills. Um, if you've got a bit of time and you want to donate your time to the cause, right, we will find Wonderful. something. Thank you. You to do, and yeah. I wondered if if there's people listening to this who do feel some little bells ringing and some little alarms going off for themselves in terms of their own story or stories of people they care about. What would you say to those people if they feel like they're dealing with some issues themselves? If you if you perceive that people are struggling themselves, what do you say to them? What do you give them? Um, well, look, if your intuition is telling you something doesn't feel right. Uh, it means uh, intuition, actually, the word intuition comes from the Latin word inter, which means to guard and protect. And your intuition will, it, sometimes it gets, you'll always have your best interest at heart, I should say. One of the great messengers of intuition is suspicion. And suspicion, now you're kind of getting a little workshop here, um, means to, to um, it comes from the Latin word suspir, which means to look, to keep looking. So Often if you're feeling suspicious and you feel like something's not right, it may, you, you need to keep looking. So um, there's ways that you can have that conversation at the right time, choose a time that's, um, you know, like you're not going to ask your friend who's a mum just before the kids finish school. So maybe, you know, organise just to have a cup of tea or if you can have a phone call, Um be prepared to not have any response, um, but just be prepared for a, a full disclosure um, and just know that your acknowledgement and and just the way that you're sort of demonstrating your care, you don't need to ask them a bunch of questions. Just say, hey, I've just no like just say what you've noticed. Um, you know, I've noticed that, you you know, you don't seem happy or I've noticed that, You've been, you know, a bit stressed out, a bit anxious. So, you know, is there anything, you know, you can always talk to me. If you don't feel like talking now, you can talk another time. I'm here. Elena and I, you and I have these conversations all the time. We do. We're very um, lucky. And we're very lucky to say that we're here for each other. So just be there. Um, say that you're there. It doesn't need to be much more complicated than that. If there is disclosure, uh, there are so many support, good referral support services. Yes. I highly recommend 1-800-RESPECT. Um, and can I say one other thing? Please. That um, has really come to my attention of late. I, I spent a lot of time working with kids and young people, uh, but I was, uh, as part of the Women's Safety Summit that was just on recently, uh, I tuned into the an elder abuse session and I was, and I was reminded of my mother's story, even though she's she's not she's only in Nashville there. But I was just reminded of her mother's, and my grandmother, I should say. And just there are elder abuse support services out there, and please don't think that we can't ask mm. um, older women. I think we sometimes they're so stoic, and they just we just think they've got it all under control. Yes. They don't. No. Um, so that really that's really struck home for me and something I would like to try and do a little bit more around. That's interesting. You know, when I was in my own um, situation of abuse, 
I remember, I mean, I had a tiny baby and I remember a dear friend of mine, I'm really tempted to mention her name, but she has her own profile, which I don't know if she would want to be mentioned, but she'll know who she is if she's listening. Um, She was one of those friends that was a very dear and close friend, but she wasn't in my immediate circle. So she was slightly separate from it. And in a way that gave her a position in which she could be objective and I respected her. And she just said to me, you know, I can see you're not okay. She said, you know, you don't have to stay. You don't have to keep doing this. Yeah. You don't have to keep doing it. And it was actually something I've never forgotten. And I'm sure she does. She probably doesn't even remember saying it, but at that moment she was the only person in my life who was speaking out loud what everybody knew. Yeah. Which was that we were in a very difficult relationship and I was vulnerable and I was in danger, you know, and... But nobody says anything and that's the thing. Everybody kind of often will just skirt around it, especially people who are closer. Maybe there's it's, it's a normal, you know, it becomes a normal. And certainly in my experience there was this amazing moment where her sa- just saying it out loud and if it had been wrong I could have said, oh, no, don't be silly, it's fine. Yeah. But the fact that she said it and I was then called to admit to myself, oh, gosh, she can see this and she said it in a loving way, in a compassionate way, but in an honest way that yeah. just got, it just really got me to act. And I was like, i got to get out. I've got a baby. I've got to get out of this situation. No matter how much I love this person, no matter how much, you know, it's not, it's not safe. And that yeah. was a really interesting moment for me to realise that she could see that and she was willing to tell me that was the ultimate friend love, that she yeah. was willing to take that risk and tell me what she saw. I love that. I love that. Mm. You know, just um, if anybody is listening, watching, and they're in crisis right now, and and they feel, or they know somebody, yes, um, just to to remember that it can take up to seven times for someone to actually leave the relationship and make that change, yeah. but it only takes one time for someone to say something for you know it to it to land in a way that doesn't Absolutely. make them leave them feeling uh you know uh, just shamed right so your friend did a really great thing yeah and, other, and 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 for those of us that have experienced violence and and then have to now process the unethical bystanding that goes on um particularly in families with family violence yes, 100% like it's so heavy, you know, and I think that that, that it just adds an entire another level of of um, shame for victims that are in it because they're like, well, maybe I deserve it, you know. Everybody, and there's all this which we, won't, we don't have time to unplug. We don't have time to unplug now, but yeah, maybe yeah. Um, another time. But look, there's five reasons why people don't stand up for you. Yes, and it's not because they don't care. It's not because they can't see it. But mostly, they're afraid of becoming the target. They're afraid they've got it wrong. They're afraid that you're not really in, you know, you don't really need help or they're looking around and nobody else is helping so they think, I don't need to help. And finally, they think, well, it's not my business. That's right, yep. And um, I think there's a bit of freedom in that if you've experienced violence against you. That That's right. It's Yeah, I would say so too. yeah. Yeah, and it took. I remember the people that did intervene and did help me at the times that I were vulnerable. They were very. They were brave people. They were people that took. Um, that 
took time and really took a risk, you know, to advocate for someone who was at that point in time really incapable of making a change, you know, and genuinely so. And I, I'll never forget those people. Those people completely changed my life. And, and it's just you never know what a kind word or a yeah. small moment taken to observe and share your generosity could do. And it's funny, I think we often forget that actually just being a human and um, just genuinely and kindly walking through the world has a lot of power. Yeah, absolutely. No. And um, like oh, we covered some ground, man. I like I love that. It. <laughs> we always go deep, me and Mel. We it's do. so good. I love it so much. And then every now and then we just like go and have a drink and laugh about things. But yeah. um, it's such an honour and a privilege. I'm a bit conscious of time, but I, I'm, it's such an honour and privilege to have you here, Mel Thomas. And I know that there'll be some people looking up your organisation and supporting your organisation as a result, which I'm very excited for. It's a very worthy thing. And I'm so grateful you took this time to talk to us today. Thank you, Elena, and thank you for inviting me into your amazing community and your beautiful <laughs> world. I love everything that you stand for and, um, and I, I love us. Go yeah, us. you're a good lady. <laughs> you're a good lady. Um, so we'll leave it there and I yeah. will finish the podcast for today. Thank you for joining yeah. us. Please share this with anyone who you think might appreciate it or needs to hear these stories or who is needing some inspiration and to hear some good stories from good ladies. And uh, please rate, review, all those things. Thank you. See you soon.